faith and life. For some people, they're parallel roads. They never come into contact with each other. One never influences the other. Yet for some other people, faith and life are more like intersecting roads. Often they're running opposite each other, but where they do intersect, wonderful God moments can be experienced. But yet for just a few, the two roads merge into one, and the results are truly a highway to heaven. What does the road of faith and life look like in your world? Certainly good being back with you uh, this morning. I appreciate John filling in for me last week. I watched him during early service. He did a great job and uh, certainly appreciate that. We're continuing with the uh, sermon series we've been doing. I think this is now our third week, Minefield. And the basis for this message uh, series is really from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, which says this. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. This is uh, incredibly important, is that God has, has given us a sound mind, and we're to have sound minds. And when our minds aren't sound, when they're not correct, when they're not rooted in truth and reality and so forth, it gives the devil a foothold for coming in and uh, confusing us and also uh, destroying our relationship that we have with God. Now, uh, this morning I want to talk to you um, uh, about a force that causes people to crumble uh, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about doubt as we're talking about the importance of having a sound mind. Now, if you've been around for a few months, um, a, a couple sermon series ago, I did um, a uh, dealing with feelings message series. And one of the topics I talked about was doubt. In fact, when I started working on this message about a week ago, just before I went out of town, I thought, doubt, hmm, that sounds familiar. I think I've preached on that recently. And I went back to that series. I'm like, oh, yeah, I did. But then I thought, you know what? I have no idea what I said when I preached on that a few months ago. So I guarantee they're not going to remember either. But I've never been a pastor that has re-preached a sermon. Um, I would never do that. And I hate repeating myself, as my kids will tell you. Um, so uh, I, I had the copy of my sermon from, from a few months back, and I made sure that I didn't uh, say anything that I said back then. So we're going to really be building upon, if you actually remember what I said several months ago, what we talked about then. Um, so before we get into doubt, though, what we need to understand is doubt isn't necessarily good but it's not always bad. What do I mean by that? Well, if you think of doubt, there are times in which doubt is good in terms of just our own humanity. If you doubt that you jump out of a plane without a parachute, that if you're doubting that that's gonna work out well for you, that's a good thing because it's not going to work out well for you. And, and it's good that we doubt things like that because we wouldn't live, we wouldn't be healthy, we wouldn't be, survive if we had no way to determine you know, what's good or, or to doubt that which might not be so good. But here's where doubt's not great. 
Think about it in terms of athletics and think about it in sports. If you have a person that's doubting that they can win versus someone who's playing with confidence, who would you rather have your money on, right? Who would you rather pick? We'd rather pick the person that, that's, that's playing with confidence. Why? Because confidence will allow you to play at your peak and doubt will oftentimes cause you to play not as good as what you otherwise would play. I had a conversation with a friend that uh, attends here and he just had that conversation with his son. His son had mentioned that he really kind of didn't think he would be able to win uh, this uh, match that he was in and certainly as it turns out he didn't win and so dad used that as a teaching opportunity that like you have to have confidence you have to believe that you can so doubt can be good at times but is oftentimes destructive. Now, spiritually speaking, the same is true. There's times when doubt is good. Um, sometimes you're going to hear a pastor say something, and you're like, hmm, I really doubt that, that, that that's true. The Bible says there's false prophets. And, and, and it's good to, when you're hearing false prophets, when you're hearing false teachers, it's good for you to doubt what it is you're hearing if it's not true. So there's a realm within spirituality that doubt is good. But in general... In general, spiritually speaking, when it comes to God's word, it's not, you know, it's not good to doubt God's word. It's not good to doubt how God's moving or directing you to do things. That's not good at all. When it comes down to it, if you're about to have like open heart surgery or, or surgery on your brain, do you really want a surgeon that says, you know, uh, we can do the surgery, but I doubt uh, I'll be able to do it very well. Are you going to be, all right, let's give it a try. No, no one wants to hear that from their surgeon. You want to hear, I've done this a thousand times and this won't be any different, it's no problem. When, when you hire a contractor for your house and you're about to hand over $20,000 for a remodel, do you really want to, want to hear them say, you know, I, I, I doubt I'm going to be able to really do this the way that you want. No, if you're going to hand over $20,000, you want to hear, you know what, not a problem, um, can do it easily. Doubt, though, at times is okay, oftentimes doubt is not great and can ultimately be destructive in our faith. Now, for the remainder of the time this morning, I want to talk to you about four stories in the Bible that have to do with doubt. And then I want to talk to you about a peculiarity with doubt in today's world um, in how doubt works, how it operates, how Satan uses doubt to get into our minds. But before I uh, get to that point, let's look at four different stories. And we're going to start with the story of someone by the name of Thomas. You guys know Thomas as what, Thomas? doubting Thomas. I feel bad for Thomas. Do you know that Thomas, like he wasn't a, a, a major disciple. He's only mentioned in the Bible four times. And one of the four times that he's mentioned, it's this unflattering story about him doubting. And so he's forever given this nickname, Doubting Thomas. We don't know anything else about Thomas. Thomas could have been the most courageous of them all uh, other than that story. But, but because we don't really hear about him or know about him, uh, he's forever known for us as Doubting Thomas. Let's take a look at why Thomas is known as Doubting Thomas, and it comes from uh, John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29. Now, Thomas called, uh, and also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, he wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. When Jesus came, what? When Jesus rose from the dead and Jesus appeared to the disciples, for some reason, Thomas isn't around. So he's not able to see and witness that Jesus rose from the dead. So the other disciples tell him, guess what? We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see 
unless I do the nail marks in his hands and put my finger there where the nails were. And unless I put my hand into his side, I'm just not going to believe. Now, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, but this time Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood amongst them and he said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas, overwhelmed, says to him, my Lord, my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. Now, the story of doubting Thomas, that is the application that we get. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. And all of us here today are worshiping God. We're worshiping Jesus Christ. And there's not one of us in here who's ever seen Jesus. So it's speaking about us. Blessed are, are, are those of us. We didn't live back then. We weren't able to see Jesus. But we believe without even seeing Jesus. It kind of makes you want to lean forward and give yourself a pat on the back. Wow look at us because we believe without seeing. But before you pull a muscle, we have something that Thomas didn't. Jesus, before he went into heaven, said he had to go into heaven because uh, for God wanted to send the Holy Spirit, the counselor, to come. And the counselor wouldn't come until after Jesus goes to heaven. Now, who's the counselor? Who's the Holy Spirit? Well, Scripture tells us that no one, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So before you lean too far forward and give yourself a pat on the back, the only reason that you're able to believe in Jesus and that we're here is because of Oh, because of the Holy Spirit who lives and dwells in us. So this is an interesting statement that Jesus makes, especially as we try to apply it to us post-Jesus, is that Jesus is saying to Thomas, his faith is believing without seeing. It's better for you to, to for blessed be those who, who believe without seeing. Well, we none of us are able to see Jesus, but we do have the Holy Spirit. And a lot of us get to this point in faith in which we we kind of need these, these, these almost like hits of the Holy Spirit so that we believe, whether that's the tingles that we feel as we're really rocking out worship, or it's like we feel like God's voice is talking to us and speaking to us, or maybe speaking in tongues, or all these different manifestations of the Holy Spirit. It's like, you know, when we're not hearing that, when we're not feeling that, maybe we begin to question God. Well, how is it any different when Jesus says, blessed are, faith is believing without seeing. Blessed is if you were to believe this without even seeing. You know what? When you're not feeling that emotion, when you're not feeling that tingle, when you're maybe not even hearing that voice and all those other things, blessed are those who are still faithful and believe. Second uh, story of, of doubt that I want to share with you from Scripture this morning is of Peter. You know, Peter gets a, such a bad name, and, and he gets kicked around a lot. And listen, you know what? 
I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I plan on seeing these people in heaven, and I'm not, I'm not bad-mouthing them here on earth, right? Um, when I look at Peter, I, I'm pretty sure that if I was around in his day, I wouldn't have been half the person uh, that he was. But, but he oftentimes gets a bad rap for a lot of things. And for what I'm about to share with you is one of the things that he gets a bad rap for. And that is, is he has this kind of moment of doubt um, when um, early in the morning, uh, just before morning, I should say, um, he's out on the boat with some disciples and Jesus is kind of coming uh, towards them. They all think it's a ghost. It turns out it's Jesus. And, and so Peter like asked Jesus to come out towards him and attempts to walk on water. Let's look at that passage from Matthew chapter 22 through 33. So immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and to go on ahead of him to the other side of the lake while he still dismissed the crowd that was there listening to him. Now, after he dismissed the crowd, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Now, later that night, uh, he was all alone and the boat was already a considerable ways out in the distance from the land. It was being buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Now, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified and they thought it was a ghost. And they, they, they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if, it, if it's you, Peter replied, then tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. And so then Peter got down out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat with him worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. Peter gets a bad rap for this. Let me ask you, who else is hopping out of the boat? I don't see anyone else hopping out of the boat. Furthermore, Peter's actually walking on water for a while. Have you ever walked on water? I've tried. You step out in the pool. All right, God, I, I really believe. <laughs> Blessed are those who believe without seeing. What happened to that? I'm not going to criticize Peter the fact that he, he, he only did it a little ways. And he, he's saying he was willing to get out of the boat. He was literally walking on water. The problem was, is that Peter takes his eyes off Jesus and he starts noticing the wind. He starts seeing the waves and he becomes distracted. He begins to doubt and then he sinks. And so this is what we need to understand as we go through life. Life's messy, right? There, there, there's a lot of difficulties. You know, when, when we go through those difficulties, when we're struggling with our kids because their grades stink or they're being rebellious, we, we, we can just get so like fixated on the problem with our kids and what's going on with the kids that we really begin to kind of doubt, doubt whether or not this is going to turn out right, doubt whether or not God's going to really, you know, kind of uh, fix that situation or doubt with all kinds kinds of things. 
when we're dealing with relationships and we fixate on the, 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 the wind and the waves of relationships, we can very much doubt how that's going to turn out. When we're dealing with our jobs, trying to find new jobs, conflicts of different kinds, when we fixate on the wind and the waves, that's going to cause doubt to happen. But what we learn from Peter's experience is you can't look at the wind and the waves. You can't look at the, the, the struggles and the trials in life. You got to keep focused on Jesus. And if you keep focused on Jesus, God will be able to accomplish immeasurably more in you and through you than what he otherwise would. Third story of doubt from the Bible is, is just general doubt of the disciples one time when a storm uh, blew up when they're on the lake as well. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 8, 23 to 27. Then he got into the boat with his disciples. I'm sorry, he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Now suddenly, while they're out there, a furious storm comes up on the lake so that the waves are, 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 are so high that they're sweeping over the boat. But Jesus, he's just sleeping. The disciples went and they woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? And then he got up, he rebuked the wind, he rebuked the waves, and it grew completely calm. And the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Doubt. Why? Because life is messy. Life has storms. They, they, they're, they're afraid that they're all going to drown. They think that they're going to die. It reminds me of a story when I was in college. When, when, when I was in college, um, every Tuesday and Thursday, students led um, evening devotions at the chapel. And there wasn't a lot of people that would come out for it, maybe 20, 25, 30 people. And, and it was student-led. And then at the end of it, there's these prayers uh, that, that people would offer up. Well, on this, this given Tuesday, Thursday, whatever it was, it turns out that it was the start of the, of the Gulf War. And um, these are college kids, and they're all freaking out because they've never really known war, experienced war. Maybe they're worried about the draft. Maybe they're worried about somehow we're going to lose. They're all going to lose their freedom. I don't know. Everyone's freaking out. So it's prayer time, and, like, everyone's just kind of doing prayers. And, and, and I don't know, but my perception of reality was, like, all 25 of the people there, one after another, they're all, like, literally crying, right? And crying out to God that, that he would protect and, and, and save the troops, our country, free, and this is, they're all in freak out mode. And, and it, it just, it's not resonating with me and I'm not understanding it. And it's not where I'm at. And so when they were all done with their freak out prayers, um, I ended up uh, uh, offering up a prayer and I broke a rule of prayer because when you pray, you're supposed to be talking to God. But the temptation is, and you know this if you've ever prayed around people, is sometimes we pray for other people to hear what we want to say as well. So it becomes like a sermon prayer. So this was a little bit of a sermon prayer because after they're all freaking out, what I'm praying is I, I literally prayed, uh, Lord, as the disciples were crying out in fear and freaking out, you know, when the storm uh, was raging, help us to remember that you're in the boat with us and that everything's going to be okay. And I'm praying this. I, I'm praying it as a real prayer, but I know it was probably meant to be a sermon to all the people who were freaking out around me. And when it was over, like everyone's coming up to me, they're like, wow, thank you so much. We really needed to hear that. We appreciate that. Everyone like very thankful for that prayer. 
here's, here's at least how I'm wired. It's not the big things that, that, that like I freak out about. It's the little things. It's like when the sprinkler, you know, breaks. It's when the dog does whatever on the carpet. It's when, you know, I, you know, it's it, the, 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 the little this, the little that, you know, those are the things that if you're going to see me get a little amped up, see me get a little stressed, see me get a little aggravated, it's going to be in the little things. In the big things, I, I, I don't let them bother me at all. I mean, when you're dealing with a storm like that and, and, and there's like, you can't do anything, what are you going to do about it, right? So what we need to do is we go through life and, and, and certain things just seem too big for us to handle. Those are the things that we got to turn to God and offer up to God. Because when you can't do anything about it at all, there's something freeing about that. There's something comforting about that because you know what? It doesn't matter if I do this or that. It's not going to change the situation. God, it is in your hands. And when it's in his hands, uh, what more comfort can you have as long as you don't doubt? Fourth story from the Bible I want to share this morning is the story of, uh, of Gideon. If you're familiar with the name Gideon, it's probably um, just because uh, of the ministry that remembers him and so forth in honor of him, where they put Bibles in hotels and stuff like that. The Gideons always did that. Um, who's this Gideon guy? Well, he's one of the judges in the Old Testament. He's a great leader. He's a great commander, um, uh, you know, a person of, uh, of really great faith. But he has a, he's given kind of a bad rap of, of someone who doubted. Now, if you're not that familiar with this story, uh, during the, the, the time in which Gideon's a judge, um, the Midianites were, were ruling over Israel. And God comes to Gideon in the form of the angel of the Lord and tells Gideon, you know what, Gideon? I'm going to use you to free Israel from the oppression of the, Midian, um, the Midianites. And, uh, and so he tells Gideon this. Um, Gideon believes it, but sort of. And so at night, Gideon goes out and he tears down a lot of the temples and places of false worship in Israel that are connected with the Midianites and so forth. But he does it at night when no one can see him. And, and in the end, then he kind of goes back and he hides. No one really knows who did it. It's kind of like kicking a, a wasp's nest or a bee's nest and kind of just ticks off the, Mid the Midianites even, uh, even more. But now he's struggling because he knows, he thinks, he thinks God's told him that he's going to deliver Israel, but he, he's not really sure. Did he hear the angel right? Was it a bad burrito? I, you just don't know. And, and so he, he kind of has to push back and lean back on God uh, for kind of insight and wisdom as to whether or not God really told him to do this. And so we have record of this in Judges chapter 6, 36 to 40. Gideon said to God, if you're going to really save Israel by my hand as you promised, look, I'm going to place this wool fleece on the threshing floor. And if there's dew only on the fleece in the morning and all the ground around the fleece is dry, then I'm going to know that I'm really supposed to do what I think you told me that I should do, that you're going to save Israel by my hand. And that's exactly what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and he wrung out the dew and it was enough for a bowl full of water, yet the ground around it was completely dry. You would think that would be enough, but not for Gideon. Gideon then says to God, don't be angry with me. 
I, I, I just want to make sure that there's no like water magnet attraction thing in this like fleece thing that I use. Maybe it's a broken fleece or whatever, I'm not sure. But don't be angry with me. Let me just one more, one more request. Allow me to, to see and to test this fleece and with the fleece. This time, keep the fleece dry and make the ground around it wet with dew. That night, God did so. And it was only the fleece that was dry and the ground around it was covered with dew. Now, we can knock Gideon for that. Oh, you know, he had the angel of the Lord speak to him. He had the first, like, fleece test. Then he had to have the second fleece test. I'm here to tell you, Gideon didn't doubt God as much as he doubted his ability to hear God. And you need to hear that because I, I think that's a problem with a lot of us in here is like, what's God really wanting for me? How do I get that question all the time? How do I really know what God's saying? How do I know this and that? That's really what Gideon's struggling with is he wants to make sure there's not a fleece problem. He wants to make sure he hasn't heard the situation wrong. How do I know that? Because what I'm about to share with you next in the story is going to tell you that Gideon does not struggle with doubt. What he doubted was whether or not he really understood what God was wanting to do in him and through him. Why? Because after this fleece things happens, Gideon assembles this large army to fight the Midianites. Now, the Bible doesn't give us the exact number of the Midianites, but it was in the thousands, probably maybe even more like 10,000. And so Israel had assembled a fairly large army to meet them. But now it's not like God's even really testing Gideon at this point, although it could have been. But even more than that, God just wants people to understand who's doing the work here before they go into battle. God says to Gideon, you know what? You got too many people. You know, there's some of your people that they, they don't want to be fighting. They would rather be at home. And you know what? You need to allow them to go home without any repercussions. And without fear, Gideon does it. He announces to the whole army, anyone who is afraid to fight the Midianites, anyone who wants to go home, just go ahead and go home. There's not going to be any repercussions. You're not going to be considered a deserter. Uh, you won't be penalized in any way. And a good number of Israel's army went home. And then God says to Gideon, eh, you still have too many. And so now God tells Gideon, have all the men go to the river and to drink. And depending on how they drank from the water, de determined whether or not they were going to fight or not. And so what it turns out is that there's only 300 people that God wants to go into battle against maybe an army of 10,000 people. Now, if Gideon doubted God, there's no way he's doing that. But Gideon's not afraid to go into battle. He's okay with it. What's really crazy about the story is imagine you're one of those 300 soldiers and you're seeing your brothers or, or you know, co-soldier people, you know, they're all going home and this group is told, even though you want to fight, you can't fight. These 300 men, they didn't have the encounter with the angel of the Lord. These 300 men, they weren't there testing God with the fleece to see the water wrung out. They weren't there doing the second test with the fleece to see that the ground was wet, but the fleece was dry. They didn't have any of those experiences. All they had was maybe Gideon telling them about it, but all they had is, is, is their faith and trust in God, and they went into battle, and they were victorious. That's crazy faith. That's anything but doubt. How do you explain a kid that stands up to a giant with a sling and some rocks? How do you explain a man who takes a hundred years of his life to build a boat while being mocked when it's never even flooded? 
How do you explain an old man who's willing to get up and to move to a, a, a country that wasn't his own and being promised that he's going to have as many descendants as stars in the sky when he was already old and, and they weren't able to have kids? How do you explain a young girl who's maybe 13 years old, maybe 14, maybe 15, who knows, but say 13, 14, or 15, that's told that even though she hasn't had relations with a, with a man, that she's going to give birth to the Messiah? Or in the Old Testament, a mom, who, or a lady, who all she ever wanted to do is be a mom, and she prayed to God, if you just give me a kid, I'll dedicate the kid to the priest and to the temple, and they'll raise the child. And I just, I just want a child so bad, but I'll offer that child up to you. God gives her a child, and she does it, and it becomes one of the greatest prophets of Israel. How do you explain those things? And you can't. How do you understand those things? You can't. If doubt had come into play in any of these, none of these would have ever have happened. God can accomplish immeasurably more through us when we have faith and trust and when we don't doubt. You know, for the remainder of our time this morning, I want to talk about doubt from a different perspective because doubt is a real stumbling block in the world today, but it looks different than in the Bible. We don't have, we're not, we don't have Jesus in a boat with us to say, hey, come out and walk or, or, or storms of testing, whether he's in the boat. Uh, we don't have like the angel of the Lord coming like, like he did with Gideon and stuff like that. Um, doubt looks different in 2021. And, and, and doubt comes at us because that there's, a very real attack that's going on on truth and reality and with truth and reality called into question then that natural application is, is that we're going to ultimately doubt God. You know, uh, a couple months ago we, we, we kind of started seeing, you know what, uh, the emphasis of this ministry right now at this point is going to be about truth and that we've got to stand up for truth and we've got to speak truth. We're encouraging you guys to tell, uh, to speak truth in the world because they don't know what truth is. We're encouraging you to uh, to invite people to come to, to church because honestly, most churches don't speak truth anymore because we don't even know what, what truth is anymore because our minds have been corrupted. We've been brainwashed and we don't even realize it. I just came back from... Um, Buffalo early Wednesday morning, and um, and this is the second time in a row that I, I've chosen to drive. And, and honestly, I'm not a big fan of driving. Driving makes me very sleepy, um, and, and I like to fall asleep when I drive. Um, the other thing that's interesting is is uh, books make me fall asleep. So I don't read books, and I don't do you know well driving. But I've learned that if you combine an audio book with driving, I can stay awake. Weird, right? And so now before I take these trips, it's like the whole world's open to me because I've gone my whole life without really reading books uh, because they don't, I, they, they put me asleep. Um, but now I can listen to them and be really entertained by them. And so I'll ask certain people like, hey, what's a really good book? I'll always Google top books of like whatever period of time. And, um, and on this drive, I was really excited about one that I don't think I had really, I think I've heard of, but I, I'm certain I had never read it because I, I never read books. Uh, but it was um, uh, Orson Welles. 1984. Now, maybe in high school, like there was an assignment on it. And if there was, I'm going to be honest, I went to go see my friend Cliff. I took his notes, right, and, and wrote a paper. But I don't even remember that. Certainly, he'd never read the book. Um, 
so this was what I listened to on my way uh, to uh, Buffalo, and it was so good I listened to it twice. Um, and if you've never listened to the book, you've got to listen to it. Orson Welles, 1984. It was written in 1949, but it is crazy in how accurate it really predicts um, so much of what the world would be like in 2021. It's eerily um, just accurate. Not, not everything, but it's eerily accurate. Um, from like the TV screen, which really listens to people. People. And you guys know what that's like. You say the word Krispy Kreme to your phone or to your you know, smart TV. Next thing it's giving you like, you know, advertisements for Krispy Kreme. It's like coincidence? No. Right. And so these 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 TV screens in, in Orwell's 1984, they're they're able to see and to listen to what people are saying. And they're able to um, to brainwash, to uh, redirect and, and to challenge people in, in what they're doing or, or seeing or thinking. And, and, and it's a time of like, he, he said 1984 would be, in, not 1984, but think about 2021, is it's a time of double-mindedness. That is, linear logical, logical thought is out the window. People are, are going to have um, competing, contradictory views and have no problem with it. In the book, there's four different types of ministries. There's a ministry of peace. And you know what the ministry of peace does? It wages war. Well, and that makes sense, right? If you want peace, sometimes you have to have a big stick. You have to do war in order to have peace, right? And that's that double-mindedness that he says will, will, will one day soon exist. There's the ministry of truth. And you know what the ministry of truth does in the book? It, it rewrites all the history books to make truth what it wants truth to be. And it's that revisionist history type stuff. And so the ministry of truth is really for lies. There's a ministry of love. And you know what the ministry of love does? It tortures people. How? Well, because if your mind's not right, if you don't have a sound mind, if you're a little messed up in the head and you don't go along with the party line, it's only loving that we would make you whole and, and healthy again. The most fascinating thing about the book is like normally when you have like dissidents or, you know, people that are um, seen as a threat to the state or whatever, you just kill them, right? Not in the book. Because to kill people that are against you would make them a martyr and draw other people to the cause. What they do is through torture and brainwashing is they make you one of them so that you believe in the party line and then they kill you. Because you won't stand for anything anymore. And that's when you receive your punishment. That's the ministry of love. And then there's the ministry of plenty, which is really, uh, it's, it's that ministry that creates food shortages or scarcity of different things so that people are always kind of relying on the government. Listen, you need to listen to it, okay? I'm not saying it is exactly accurate to what's in 2021, but I'm saying that there are a lot of powerful, powerful um, correlations. And what's crazy is, is the main character, you know, towards the end of the book, he gets caught and he becomes reconditioned uh, before, you know, by the ministry of love uh, and, and gets reprogrammed before then once he is, you know, ultimately uh, he's killed. Uh, sorry to ruin the book, but you just still need to listen to it. Uh, but what's interesting is when they're going and I'm driving and I'm listening to this like reconditioning of them where they're trying to convince them that, you know what, two plus two can equal five and this can equal this. And it doesn't have to mean that. And why? Because we said so. And if you combine that with enough you know, trickery, if you combine that with enough torture, when you combine that with enough pain, I'm sitting there driving thinking, 
Uh, I mean, I can kind of see that. If you make all the rules and if you want it to be five, I guess it can be five. If you want it, you know, a gallon to be a little less, than, I mean, I guess, it, right? And then you kind of like have to shake your head and say, no. It's really easy to kind of fall into that trap when you're being brainwashed and, and you're being fed things constantly over time that are untrue, untrue and untrue, then you just start believing it. And I'm telling you that goes on in the world today all the time. That causes us to um, not recognize truth and not recognize reality. Now, a lot of you kids are like, yeah, old man, um, whatever. I hear my parents, my grandparents talking about this stuff all the time. It's not really true. It is. And I'm gonna just give you one small example of how you can know it's true. Um, so yesterday, um, in between preparing for a funeral and in preparing for this message, um, I just decided to go to the newsfeed, uh, or maybe it was in the middle of the night when I was awake. I don't remember, but in the last day or so, um, I, I'm like, I go to my phone's newsfeed. You know how on your newsfeed, like, there's certain news articles you can read for free, but then there's those that Apple says we want you to pay for. It's so annoying. It's like, why are you even showing me these if I got to pay for them? So I, I'm going to show you, like, uh, so I'm. I, I'm pulling up, it's pulling up people. Occasionally I'll reach a, I might read a people article or whatever. And, and I'm like looking at these and it's like, Kelly Clarkson's divorce gets messy. The court order is what it is. I don't hardly know who Kelly Clarkson is. I could care less about her divorce or how messy it is. And I'm not really interested in that article. But then there's a, a mother and son shot dead at their family's South Carolina estate um, inside the search for answers. I probably wouldn't click on that unless I'm really bored because maybe it would be like a murder mystery type thing. I don't know. But that last one kind of caught my attention. Republican politician dies of COVID complications days after mocking the virus. Well, now that one's gonna get my attention. But before I get to the one that gets my attention, I wanna show you a couple things. Let's go look at Kelly Clarkson's article. You click on that, and this didn't surprise me. I knew this was gonna happen, and that's why I did this, because I otherwise would not have clicked on this. But sorry, I uh -uh, can't read it. You're gonna have to pay us at Apple if you really wanna hear about Kelly Clarkson's messy divorce. Mm. Sorry. Okay, go back to the main one. All right, just in case you were really that nosy about a mother and son being killed in their South Carolina state, you know, to me that does borderline and nosy. Um, but in case you did, you click on it. Mm. You're not going to be able to read that unless you first pay us at Apple. By the way, just a little secret. If you actually Google these news stories, you can read them for free most of the time if you don't go through your Apple app. But anyways, side subject. But you can't, you can't do that one either. Now, the one that I actually clicked on, let's look at this. Oh, that, that one, it's a miracle. You can read that one. You can read about a Republican politician that died of COVID complications days after mocking the virus. Why? Because that is going to push what government, what media, what corporations, it's a storyline that they don't want you to have to pay for. They want to give it to you in any way possible that they can give it to you. What you're not going to read is about a Democrat who somehow was against the, 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 the vaccine or, or something like that. You're not going to read that article and certainly not for free. What you're not 
not going to read is about is that outbreak in Massachusetts, which has made all people that have been vaccinated now have to wear masks again. And that, 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 what, what that's going to tell you is that there were 800 people in Massachusetts in this outbreak. 75% of them were vaccinated. And guess what? 1% of them, eight died. You're not going to read that and you're not going to have to, you know, uh, see that on people or whatever. Why? Because that's not communicating what they're wanting you to hear in, in the party line in which they are wanting to control our thoughts and, and, and our thinking. What you're not going to hear is that in Israel, that the Delta variant uh, is, is, is only 34 uh, percent. The vaccine's only 34 percent effective. I mean, just 34. You're not going to hear these things. Why? Because what they're trying to do is they're trying to push a certain uh, a view, a certain understanding of reality. They're trying to brainwash us into one. You're going to die. You are going to die if you don't get vaccinated. And when that didn't work, you're going to kill someone else. Now, listen, if you were vaccinated against smallpox, if you were vaccinated against chickenpox, none of you got vaccinated for chickenpox so the next person wouldn't get it. You got vaccinated for chickenpox, so you wouldn't get it. You got vaccinated for smallpox, so that you wouldn't get it. But in double thinking, in double talk, now that doesn't have to make sense anymore. Now you get vaccinated, so someone else doesn't get it. Because guess what? Even what you are, you can get it. We've been taught over the last several years, a decade or so, that homosexuality is normal that transgender is, is harmless. You know, this is what I'm, I'm laughing about. It's like, did anyone notice that the Olympics have, like, did you, did you hear that the, the ratings for the Olympics were 50% of what they were the last Olympics? Did you guys hear that? Do you, do, are they doing different games at the Olympics this year? Are there different amount of countries that are involved? Is life so much more interesting now that there's a 50% drop in the amount of people watching the Olympics? No. You know why 50% less people are watching the Olympics? Because 50% of us that watched them before are sick and tired of all the wokeism and all the untruisms and all the brainwashing and all the, the subtle messages and sometimes not so subtle that are being jammed into our mind. We're sick of seeing women or men being able to compete as women and even winning. If we really believed, and there's probably some truth to the fact that men have like been oppressive to women over, over the centuries and millennia or so forth, if you really do believe that, then why in the world would you want a man to compete as a woman and continue that? It's just double thing, double. It's just not logical and it's not linear. We've been programmed to think that systematic racism exists not only in this country and in this world. And if you're, you know, if you're white, everything about it favors you and everything else is unfair to every other race on the face of the earth. We've been told that poor people are allowed to steal. You've seen the articles out of San Francisco and so forth where like someone steals from a CVS or a Walgreens and, and there's all this bad press at the stores to even go after that person because they're poor, they should be allowed to steal. Everyone else, okay, maybe not, but for poor people you should. And then they were like, but yeah, you're st stealing hair care products and was stealing all these other things that have nothing to do with her. That doesn't matter. That's double think. It's conditioning of the way that we should think and the way that we should understand. We've been conditioned to think that there's many ways to know God. We've been conditioned to think that, you know what, there isn't a God. And we've been conditioned to think that truth is in the eyes of the beholder. And all of this is double talk. All of it is, is being crammed down to us by the things that we're allowed to see, the things that are being pushed to us versus other things that, that otherwise you would have to pay to see. Why? 
is this a big deal? Because it causes doubt of God. When you no longer know what is truth, how can, how can you know what reality is if you don't know what truth is? The reality is that you can't know what reality is if you don't know what truth is. Truth shows us what reality is. Now, if you don't have truth and you don't know what reality is, is how can you believe in a God or how can you have any certainty about that God? And you can't because God is real and God is truth. And so when you disassociate truth and reality, you can't know God apart from it. You just can't. And it's going to create doubt, and it's going to create uncertainty. And that's how Satan works doubt in our minds today, is by destroying truth and destroying reality. That is why it has to be talked about in churches everywhere. It's why you've got to talk about it in your workplaces. It's why you've got to talk about it in your families, because you can't know God if you don't know truth and if you don't know reality. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious Almighty God, we just thank and praise you for this morning to be able to dig into your word and to... Um, to study this concept of doubt. For those of us who are struggling with doubt right now on different things, gracious God, help us to not be focused on the wind and the waves. Help us to not be focused on the drama, the hurt, the pain, the struggles, the heartaches, the storms of our lives. Help us to keep our eyes focused on you, to trust in you, to hand it over to you, to know that, that you're in control of all things. Even as we are in a world today in which truth and reality has been totally blown apart, uh, by the media, by government, and especially by corporations. Help us tonight even freak out in that because in the end, gracious God, this isn't our problem, but it's yours. But just give us the courage to speak. Give us the courage to be lights to the world around us, to, to speak truth to this ever-darkened world. We pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.